Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, people of God. The Lord is with you. In 2014, Matthew McConaughey starred in a science fiction film called Interstellar. And the premise of the movie was that Earth, uh, about a hundred years hence, was becoming increasingly uninhabitable. The farming was almost impossible, food was scarce, and so NASA had begun an exploration for some other possible inhabitable plant inhabitable planet somewhere, and they had a couple in mind. And they used a wormhole to travel across the universe. You all know what wormholes are. But they traveled across the universe, and they went to one of those two planets and discovered it was a violent ocean, totally uninhabitable. So they traveled again across the universe, vast spaces of uh, space and time, and they got to the other only to find that it was an icy desert with this ammonia-filled atmosphere, a frozen world. And so in the end, humanity was preserved not by finding another planet on which to live and settle, but by an artificial space habitat space station orbiting around the planet Saturn that used technology to give the people that lived on it the sense that they were living in Earth's beauty that had once upon a time been real. Now, I'm not sure what the message the filmmakers might have had in mind, but it occurred to me that we already have a perfectly beautiful place. It's designed for all kinds of life to flourish, not just ours. So it makes sense to take the one that we already have and to take care of it and to enjoy it and to appreciate it rather than searching futilely through the universe for some other place to live or depending upon technology somehow to take care of us to build an inferior imitation. Doesn't that make better sense to care for what God has given us? I don't know how long it's been since you've read Genesis chapter 1, this simple, elegant, beautiful cadence of poetry in the first chapter of the Bible describes God's, God's act of powerful creation. It's, it's a beautiful poem. The orderly structure, days one, two, and three correspond with days four, five, and six. What's created on day one corresponds to day four, and day two with day five, and day three with day six. It's so orderly and beautiful. There's this simple, let there be, and there was, that flows from the lips of God that's repeated again and again and again in that poem. There's this steady, and there was evening, and there was morning, day one. And there was evening, and there was morning, day two, to end each stanza. And there's this joyful statement repeated out, and God saw what he had created, and it was good. It pleased God. He took joy in what he had done there. I don't know how long it's been since you've read that poem, but I'm going to read it in its entirety. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 4. And is it going to be on the screen or not? But if it's not, you might want to open a Bible and follow along. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser night light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas. and Let the birds increase on the earth. There was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. 
Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing, and on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created. This is the word of the Lord. The next couple of weeks, we're going to be thinking about creation and about our place in it as part of God's act of good creation described here. We're going to be thinking about what it means for us to live as Christian people, followers of Jesus Christ, responsibly here on our common home. I like that phrase, our common home. Pope Francis uh, used that term in an encyclical he uh, wrote about five years ago to talk about some of the issues that we were facing together on planet Earth. He called it our common home. It's the one we share with each other and with all the other creatures on the planet. But in fact, it's not a common place, is it? It's a very uncommon world. God called this universe into being some 13.8 billion years ago. He spoke it into existence. Some astrophysicists say that as many as 10 trillion galaxies were flung out across the emptiness of space in that moment of creation, in that powerful event. If each one of those galaxies is even approximately the size of our own, each one of them has a hundred billion stars in it. And the number of stars in the universe would be expressed in terms of one followed by 24 zeros. That's a lot of power and a lot of creation. About four and a half billion years ago, God's creative power called this solar system into existence and set the planets orbiting around one of those stars that we call the sun. And about... 3.8 billion years ago, on one of those planets, he began to work that providential journey toward life that would lead over time to human beings created in his image, made for relationship with him, bearing his own breath breathed into him. We share this beautiful home, our common home, with 8.7 million species of animals and plants. It's a marvelous place. And the degree of interdependence between those species is just a wonder in itself. And we are part of all of this. As a Christian, trying to form my understanding of us and God's world biblically, I take issue with a term that's often used, and I use it sometimes, we do, it's in our hymnal, it's the term nature. I really don't care so much for that term anymore. It's more of a secular term. It's not comprehensive enough. It's limited. Usually by nature, what we mean is everything in the world except humans. Uh, We like to go out, quote, in nature, as if we weren't part of nature. 
It is the term that is used as a sort of secular term out there by the scientific view that doesn't have a place for God in all of this. There's nature and natural. I'm sort of rebelled against that term in some ways. I tend not to use that word. I prefer the word creation. This is God's good creation. I prefer to speak of appreciating the creation, of being out in creation, of the goodness and beauty of creation. You can use nature if you want to. I just want to protest a moment and say I prefer the word creation. Sometimes I, uh, I actually protest out loud. Sometimes I just do it in my head. We'll be singing along, Ferris, Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature. And I just sing ruler of creation. Uh, at least in my head. Uh, this is my father's world. All nature sings, creation sings, and round me rings the beauty of the sphere. I prefer creation rather than nature because it reflects biblical thinking. This world did not come into being on its own. Very nature of God is that God is creator. The very first thing we hear from him is God says, let there be, and there was. God is creator. The, the title that's given to God throughout scripture is maker of heaven and earth. It's who he is. It is found in the law, the prophets, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the gospels, the acts, the epistles, and the book of Revelation. This emphasis on God as the creator of all that is. It's not a minor issue. When we confess faith using the ancient apostles' creed, we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It's God's essential identity, and so it is our essential identity that we are part of the creation. God has created this material world. God pronounced good, 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 very good in Genesis chapter 1. It is the product of God's hand. It is the product of God's heart and mind. Nature doesn't quite comprehend that. Creation says it. Jesus Christ is at the center of this powerful act of creation. In John chapter 1 verse 1, John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being that came into being. Jesus Christ is at the heart of this beautiful act of creation. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that, speaking of the Son, Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him, and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is at the center of this beautiful, majestic creation that extends beyond our imagination out into the darkness of space. Jesus, all things, came into being through him. Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews says, Our ancestors... Through the prophets, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he says, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed all, heir of all things and through whom also God made the universe. Jesus is at the very heart of all of creation. I want you to think about that just for a second in this way. We read in John, in 1 John, that God is love. God is love. Not just that God loves, but that it's something very essential to God's own being, that God is love. 
It's not possible for God to do anything unloving. In fact, everything that flows from God is an expression of who God is as love. And what that means in regard to creation, and God saying it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good, is this. Every subatomic particle called into being in that moment of creation, every majestic galaxy, the biggest thing you can think of, the smallest thing you can think of, every molecule that ultimately formed, every atom, everything in creation is an expression of the love of God. We are surrounded by the love of God just by being part of creation. The one who is love created this universe through his son of his love, Jesus Christ. And you and I live in a world, nature doesn't say that for me as well. Creation is the word I prefer. I prefer creation rather than nature because it reminds me that we and all of those around us are dependent upon God and God's grace. We wouldn't exist if it weren't for God. We are part of creation. We wouldn't thrive or survive apart from God's providence, providing sun and soil and water. We sang of that a bit a while ago. We sit down three times a day to eat a meal, some most often thoughtlessly, about where it's come from. Wendell Berry says, to live we must daily break the body and shed the blood of creation. When we do this knowingly, lovingly, skillfully, and reverently, it is a sacrament. When we do it ignorantly, greedily, clumsily, destructively, it's a desecration. Three times a day, we're in touch with creation in a marvelous way. Sun, soil, water, and human hands have produced the food that is there on our plate that sustains us. Were it not for sun, soil, and water, and human hands being given to that task, we would not exist. We depend upon this earth. God's good grace sustains us day after day after. It's no accident when Jesus wanted to talk about the sustaining power and meaning of his death, he took bread given from the earth and wine given from the earth and said, let these things represent for you the sustaining power of my death and my forgiveness, my grace. I prefer creation because it reminds me that we are dependent on God's grace. I prefer creation rather than nature visit comprehensive. You see, you and I are part of that good, beautiful creation of God as well. You know, when people say, I like to get out in creation, they usually mean, I want to leave all the human beings alone and go somewhere else by myself. You ride the city bus, you're with creation, my friends. The image of God is found in that person sitting next to you. You're six-day stuff. You're the, the ones he said, let us make humankind in our image. And every male and female ever created bore that and bears that image of God. When you say nature, it sort of sets us apart from all of that, rather than seeing these human beings that we live with as part of that good and beautiful creation that God has made. We're part of it, not its adversaries, not its enemies. And that's my point here. The earth is the home, our home for us and all of God's creatures. God made it so and said it was very, very good. And it's the only home we know. And we share it in common with the only forms of life we found yet anywhere in this whole universe. We keep hoping for discovery. It'd be exciting, I guess. Discovery of life somewhere else. We keep getting pictures back from Mars and the little robot running around like your iRobot vacuum cleaner around uh, Mars trying to find some evidence that once upon a time there was life there. Perhaps there was. 
But life as we know it, life as we know it, and have known it for a long, long time, requires a particular, intricate, delicately balanced system of light and water, of heat and cold, of soil and air, of chemicals and physics that are found so far as we know only here on this planet. Now, they may be elsewhere. We may be able to discover that, but I want to say this is our home. God made this for us, and he said it's very good. Elsewhere in the universe, wherever we go so far, we find desolation and frozen deserts or arid deserts, nothing that fits who we are. Here we have a perfect home of beauty and abundance that's ours to share with each other and ours to share with the other creatures that live on the place. It's our place in the universe. It's God's good gift to us and our neighbors, all 8.7 million of them. And how easy it is to take it for granted. It is so easy. I don't know much about what goes on in a fish's brain, but I sort of suspect that fish don't pay much attention to the water. They just live in it. It's their environment. It's their home. It's where they swim around. I could be totally wrong. Fish could be swimming around just in absolute awe of the reality of water every single day. I don't know. But I'm a human being, and I'm somewhat typical of my species, and I know that we aren't very good at that, that we live in this beautiful place and take it for granted day in and day out. We get occasionally struck by sunsets or sunrises or cloud formations or mountain ranges or ocean views occasionally, but on a daily basis, we tend to take for granted so much that is ours in creation. I breathe in and out about 24,000 times a day without giving a thought to that thin layer of atmosphere, thin layer of atmosphere precisely composed to sustain life in this body, to keep me alive. Uh, It's perfect for my life except where I've helped to poison it. I drink about 180 gallons of clean water a year and a about an equal amount brewed with coffee beans, I think. All total, I use about 30,000 gallons of this liquid a year, and I seldom pause to reflect about how perfect it is, how perfect is it, how necessary, how blessed I am to have it. There are 780 million people who don't have access to clean water in this world, and yet I just take it for granted. I pour it out. I I live as if it weren't amazing. I sit down to more than a thousand meals a year, and I'm thankful. But I thank God for the food as if He had it shipped to HEB. I, I forget the way that every single meal is rooted deeply in the creation the sacrament of shed blood and broken body of the earth, the product of soil and biology and chemistry and meteorology of wind, sun, rain, heat, and cold. All of those things work together so that I sit down to my bowl of food, and I take it for granted. I look at the ground and I see dirt, but it's not dirt. It's soil. It's a very different thing. Soil is a living world of its own. It's made up of minerals, rock, clay, sand, silt, air, mostly air, water, organic materials, things that are there from dead plants and dying plants and animals. And soil provides a place for those plants to 
set their roots and to draw their nutrition, access to water and nutrients. It's a home for lots of animals, insects, spiders, centipedes, worms, burrowing animals, bacteria, and many others. And they all contribute to the soil's life. I look at it, I see dirt. And yet that's what sustains me and you day in and day out. I look into the night sky and city lights have now drowned out the amazement I have once upon a time felt under really dark skies on occasion. I'm not startled, if you'll excuse the pun, I'm not startled much anymore by the expanse of sky. I've just learned to take it for granted. Concrete and glass and steel and asphalt surround me. Human constructions have so obscured the creation that I just don't notice it as much as I should. I take it for granted. And yet, this is our uncommon, common home that God has given to us. The common home I share with those around me goes unnoticed, and so I've thought a bit about what I need to do to try to stay in touch with this beauty that God has given us a little more. Here's some things that I have found helpful and I work on. I need to pay attention, for one thing, just to notice all around me, even when I'm going through my day. These people, that dog, that cat, these creatures that share my home with me, this food, this water, this breath of air, those trees, those birds that fly overhead, every single piece of the creation is worthy of notice and amazement. I need to notice. I need, I need to pay attention, be a bit more mindful of what I'm surrounded with, and let it take my breath away a little bit. I need to be reminded of my dependence on it. One way of doing that I found is to grow a little bit of the food that we eat. If all you can do is grow a pepper plant in your windowsill, do that just to be reminded that food comes from soil. That would be a helpful thing. I need to learn what I can about God's creation. Truthfully, the less I know about something or someone, the less I appreciate it. But the more that I know, the more I appreciate it, and the thing that grows out of that appreciation ultimately is affection. And the thing that grows out of that affection is care for it. I want to take care of it. Learning the names of creatures on our place in Floresville has become something of a practice for us. We are trying to get to know not just our human neighbors, but also the plants and insects, spiders, snakes, birds, and mammals who are our neighbors as well. And uh, it's been an enjoyable process, but it is a part of growing affection to know who these creatures are, what their names are, how they live their lives. I need to learn what I can about it. I need to express my gratitude to God for all of it. Uh, more and more, I need to say thank you. Uh, a couple of years ago, I got a new clean Bible to work with. And one of my goals in reading through the Bible that year was just to note all the places that the creation is mentioned in one way or another. It's not just Genesis 1. It permeates Scripture. It is God's artwork and God's handiwork that we live in, and, and I need to express gratitude to God for it all. And I need to be out in the wildness of it as much as possible, outside the walls, outside the city. I need reminders of God's good and beautiful world, and I find in the doing of that, in being out in it, there is a renewal that comes to life and mind and body. And you found that to be so too, whether it's out in your garden or where they out a walk in the woods or a park or some really wild place perhaps that you found yourself at one time or another. It's easy in this world to get pounded by news reports again and again and to have a sense of despair about how things are. 
and to think that it's all running amok and it's all falling apart and to lose hope. It's easy to do that. But there's something outside there in creation that reminds us that God is still ruling and reigning. God is involved in all the intricate operations of this whole ecology we call earth. He is making things work together. He is giving life and giving breath to all things. He is intricately involved in this, providentially involved in all this. And sometimes we just need to be out in the middle of it to be reminded of it. I mentioned Wendell Berry earlier. Here is one of Mr. Barry's more well-known poems. It's one I like very much. It's called The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night in fear of what my life or my children's lives might be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and I'm free. This uncommon home of ours is something we are part of, not separate from. We are participants in it. We live our lives in it. We draw our life from it. We have a part to play in its health and its well-being as it does in ours. It is God's good and beautiful gift to us. Thanks be to God. Weeks ahead, we'll think a couple of weeks about our role in caring for this gift that God has given to us and what it means to follow Jesus into that process. But for now, let's pray together and give thanks. Our Lord, we are pausing to be grateful for something we, we never escape. We live in, walk through, and yet ignore a good bit of the time. We thank you for our beautiful home. We thank you for this place you've given us and all 8.7 million other creatures of yours to live and thrive and serve each other and provide for each other. Lord, we've been complicit in much of the harm that's come to this place. We pray you would help us to be more mindful, grow more affection, find ways to care, and to take responsibility for that part of it that's ours. And God, again, thank you so much for this expression of your love that is creation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.